Good evening. It is October 1st, 2020. Welcome to episode seven of Legacy Battle Podcast on um, NGSCSports.com. NGSC Sports, we never stop. Uh, they're sponsored, we're sponsored by Arena Eats. Log on to their website, arenaeats.app, for the ultimate fan experience at your favorite sports venue. Arena Eats mobile app, you can pre order, express pickup, and in seat delivery. How do you place your order? So please join the Legacy Battle Facebook group page and our YouTube channel. Our next podcast is October 16th at special start time of 9.30 p.m. because our guest lives on the West Coast. Um, and it's going to be the greatest tennis rivalries. And we'll be joined by uh, Wimbledon and French Open winner Jonathan Stark. You don't want to miss that one. Uh, Michael Adams, joining with me always, is Brian King, Brett Ebert, Kevin Adams. And tonight we are joined by a very special guest. He played tight end for seven years with the Indianapolis Colts, three years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was a member of the 1995 NFL All-Rookie Team, the 1999 All-Pro Team, a Pro Bowler in 2001, and of course in 2003 he won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's got touchdown passes from Peyton Manning, Brad Johnson, Captain Comeback Jim Harbaugh, He's a graduate from the University of Illinois and has some firsthand knowledge about tonight's debate because he played against Penn State in 1994 in what was a really thrilling 35-31 score. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ken Dilger. So thank you, Ken, for being up, here. Guys? Thank you. <clears throat> totally excited to have you join in on tonight. Um, so everybody, after the debate, we're going to ha ask a few questions to talk about um, Ken's career. Uh, trivia question for a prize will be later in the show. And tonight's debate is who should have been the 1994 NCAA college football national champion, the Penn State Nittany Lions or the Nebraska Cornhuskers? So we're going to jump right into this. Uh, we're going to start with the, the offenses. Um, Ken, we're going to come to you a lot today, but I'm, I'm going to start with Brett um, with the offense. Uh, let's go Penn State first. So we're talking about Penn State. All right, started off there. Um, well, I mean, what can you say? Penn State probably had one of the most prolific offenses um, that year. Um, I mean, you look at it, you had two of their top guys go in the top 10, basically picks for the NFL draft that year. Um, and, you know, they were looking and they were having an average margin of victory of around 26 points uh, per win. Uh, that was actually one of the highest in the nation that year. Um, and they were scoring 47, just a little over 47 points per game um, against the teams that they were playing. And I mean, again, these some of their schedule, these were not cupcakes they were playing. These were teams who were supposed to be uh, teams that were in, you know, in the top 25. Um, so, I mean, I'll start off with that and I'll pass it around so I don't talk about too many of the other points somebody might have. Ken, you saw them live. What, 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 what did you think? Uh, they came back. They were down quite a bit in your game, right? Yeah, I think we had a halftime score. I think we were up 20, 28 to 3 or 31 to 3, something like that. And uh, the first half, our offense was just uh, going crazy. And our defense, our defense, I think, was ranked at one point number one in the country that year. We had <clears throat> Simeon Rice, Kevin Hardy, um, both Buckus Award winners. I think Simon was, Kevin was number two, uh, Dana Howard was the year before, and we had, a, we had a great team offense, we had some firepower, nothing great, not like uh, Penn State, but I'll tell you what, in that second half, we just couldn't stop them, uh, Kajana Carter, 
uh, you know, they just kept on coming at us. They were definitely stacked. Um, Mr. Penn State over there, Kevin, I'm sure you're going to keep your bias out of this today, but um, <laughs> tell, tell, tell us your impression of Penn State offense. I mean, hands down, they're arguably probably the best uh, offense in the history of Penn State. Um, you know, Kerry Collins was a great quarterback, uh, went on you know, in the NFL and had a decent career. Bobby Ingram, you know, great wide receiver, uh, holds the record for most yards at Penn State. And then uh, Cannon mentioned the running back, Carter. I mean, those three right there, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty uh, three-headed monster coming at you on offense. I mean, they had the number one ranked offense in the league that year. Um, they scored over 100 points more total that year than – Nebraska did, um, and they ranked first in points per game. They averaged uh, 47 points per game. That right. In itself right there, I mean, they dominated on, on the offensive side of the ball. Well, of course, they were 12-0. and um, Kerry Collins, he, he led in yards per pass. He was ninth in touchdown passes, third in completion percentage. He won the Davey O'Brien, the Maxwell, the Sammy Ball Awards. Um, totally took all of it awards pretty much. Kajana Carter was first in yards per rush, second in touchdowns, fourth in yards. And then you got not just Bobby Ingram, but Freddie Scott. Freddie Scott was sixth in yards per catch, 11th in TDs and 11th in yards. And then Bobby Ingram's 14th in yards per reception and ninth in yards. And he won the Bolitnikoff award that year. Um, and they had five all Americans uh, on that offense. That's that's a that's a, a pretty stacked team, Brian. What 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 do you think? Uh, one thing that really stands out. I mean, you talked about the quarterback uh, Collins. I, also, Wally Richardson. He eventually uh, went on to to the uh, NFL. Um, he was backup quarterback. And then you had you had four really standout uh, running backs who all eventually made it to the NFL with Kajana Carter, uh, John Whitman, uh, who eventually was a fullback with the Steelers, uh, Mike Archie, and and Brian Milne. So, you know, that, that backfield was just totally stacked. And, you know, it was kind of a pick-your-poison thing, like you said, because you had, you had Bobby Ingram and you had Freddie Scott. Um, and then you had Cal Brady, uh, a very, you know, very good tight end. He could, he could block well and he could receive. Um, so, you know, and then, and then you had Jeff Hardings on the line, who eventually became a, a Pro Bowl uh, offensive lineman in the NFL. So on that side of the ball, I mean, you, you really couldn't find a weakness. Um, they were going to be able to do pretty much what they wanted to against you. Um, you know, if you tried to key on one certain, you know, one certain aspect of their game, you know, they, they weren't going to flinch because they had so many ways that they could beat you. I, I did a little research. The entire starting offense from that 1994 Penn State team made it to the NFL. And that includes the third wide receiver and the backup running back and the kicker. That is outstanding. And, and uh, Ken, I got to ask you about that third wide receiver because I'm pretty sure you won a Super Bowl with him, Joe Jaravicious. Was the, the guy had hands. What, what can you tell me about him? Yeah, Joe was a uh, great teammate of mine in uh, Tampa Bay, and I loved being around him because he was so, uh, so competitive. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that game in 2003, the first game of the season in uh, Philadelphia. When they oh, yeah. uh, Lincoln, I think Lincoln Financial Field, and he uh, he scored a touchdown by tipping the ball to himself and catching in the corner of the end zone. So, uh, yeah, 
I don't remember Joe that much at Penn State uh, when we were playing him there, but uh, yeah, he was a great wide receiver at Penn State and and in the pros. Absolutely. Let's move on to Nebraska. They uh, their offense. They were thirteen and zero, of course, that year. Um, Brian, we'll, we'll start with you. Give us give us your impressions of them. Well, it starts off with with Tommy Frazier. Um, he ended up winning, or he ended up being uh, the runner up uh, for the Heisman Trophy the following season. Um, but he did deal with injuries uh, during the season that we're talking about. But while he was in there, he was you know, he was very, very good. Um, he was able to run the ball. He averaged over 60 rushing yards per game. Um, he had he had six touchdowns in just four games. And, and some of those appearances were, you know, were abbreviated because of, uh, you know, uh, the blood caught that, uh, that he had. So, you know, so, so just starting off with him, he was really good. And then while he was down, um, Brooke Berenger, he was adequate to, to run the offense as well. Um, you know, he was able to, you know, to, to really, you know, they didn't have the running aspect as much as they had, but man, he could stand there in a the pocket and he could still, you know, he could still run the offense and still get things done. Brett? Well, I mean, piggybacking off of that, then you move down the line and you talk about uh, Lawrence Phillips, the running back. I mean, had uh, a massive year that year, uh, averaged, you know, over six yards per carry. Uh, I think he had something along the lines of like over 1,700 yards uh, rushing. I mean, it was just uh, an amazing year for him. And so, again, yeah, they dealt with some of those injuries at quarterback, but they had some guys who really stepped up uh, and helped to really move that team forward that year. Uh, again, you talk about depth. We were just talking about Penn State's depth, and that's something Nebraska had uh, all the way down the line when you look at all the different guys that contributed that year. And Ken, I know you didn't you didn't play against them, but uh, I'm sure you were always keeping an eye on what was going on back then. So, uh, what you know anything about that offensive line? I mean, that was one of the best offensive lines in college football history, really. Yeah, I know that uh, they loved to run the option and uh, watching Lawrence Phillips run out of the backfield and uh, Tommy Fraser. I mean, what they did on offense at uh, you know they averaged what uh, 340 rushing. That year, so yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, nobody could stop him. It was it was fun to watch. It was a different offense. You know, I think most people in the Big Ten kind of ran the pro style offense, but these guys kind of ran that wishbone. And you know, when Berenger was in there, he threw the ball a little bit more, but still, he was he was more than adequate. He was very athletic, threw the ball well, and um, you know they didn't throw the ball very much, but when he did, he did a good job at it. So, but I think what stands out on that uh, on that uh, Nebraska team was their defense. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the same thing about not throwing the ball much. Um, so between Brooks Berenger and Tommy Frazier, they only had 14 touchdown passes combined and only 1,600 yards thrown. So it was definitely a very one-dimensional offense. Uh, and you guys, you mentioned Lawrence Phillips. He was 12th in yards per rush, fourth in touchdowns, third in yards. But then if you go to their wide receivers, just to really throw it how little they threw the ball, um, their leading wide receiver only had 23 receptions. So, I mean, that, that's – and only 360 yards. That, that, that's kind of crazy. I mean, especially today in pass-happy college football and pass-happy NFL. But uh, that, that was just uh, an amazing stat. Um, and let's see, they had a guard, Zach Wieger. He won the John Outland Trophy. And they had three All-Americans uh, on their team uh, on the offense. So um, – very one-dimensional offense, but all in all, I I would say that 
Penn State definitely had the better offense. We're talking 564 points for to 459 points for for Nebraska. So um, let's move to the defense. Kevin, we'll start with you. Um, I'll let you start with Penn State. Go ahead. Uh, <clears throat> Penn State's defense wasn't um, wasn't one of the better parts of their uh, team that year. Um, their defense was ranked number 70th uh, country. Uh, that's not very good. Um, that just kind of shows you, though, how much the uh, defense depended on the offense. Um, you know, compared to Nebraska, Nebraska was a top five team, but Penn State's defense uh, wasn't very good. I mean, they did have some you know, players get drafted and everything, um, but they uh, they let up some uh, a lot of points. Uh, they let lay up twenty one points per game. They're ranked thirtieth points per game and, and let up 252 total points for the season. They were ranked 30th for points per game. They are ranked 70th overall. Um, I have 107. People, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people say that Nebraska, if they did not end up playing, Nebraska's offense would have ran all over the defense. Ken, you played against this defense. Obviously wasn't one of Penn State's best. Um, was there anyone that – stood out that you guys were game planning for or anything at that time? Not really, but, uh, you know, that was one of my better games uh, in my in my college career and, and in that uh, my senior year where I caught 48 catches. Uh, you know, their secondary wasn't great. We, we moved the ball down the field and threw the ball down the field. Um, their linebacking core was average. Uh, their, their secondary wasn't great as well. So we got the ball down the field. I can't remember how much rushing yards we got to that game, but uh, we were able to throw the ball pretty good on them that game. If you YouTube your name, uh, there's actually a video of all your plays <laughs> against Penn State. So, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the only that's the only game where they highlighted every play. It was the one against Penn State, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. But um, Brett, go go ahead. Well, you know they they. You went on mute, Brett. Sorry, yeah, I clicked the wrong thing there. There we go. Uh, they they touched on it already. Uh, a lot of the points. I mean, you you know that it was probably the most suspect part of the team uh, for Penn State was their defense. Um, I mean, I think they were averaging giving up about twenty one points a game, which was not that great. Kevin kind of mentioned that, um, and there just wasn't many standout players that you know you can really pick or pinpoint. Uh, for that team. It was just their offense. Their offense tried to steamroll everybody and, you know, again, pretty much did a good job of that. All right. Brian, we'll we'll let you start with Nebraska on defense. Oh, okay. Nebraska's defense. Okay. Um, <laughs> got to switch my notes around now. <laughs> okay. Well, in Nebraska's defense was, it was better than, than Penn State's definitely. Um, there, uh, there was a ranking that I found um, that has to do with the uh, with the point differential and taking also into account um, the strength of schedule. And Nebraska's defense ended up ranking uh, fifth overall in the country in in that metric. So it was a, it was a pretty solid defense. And they had a guy uh, named Baron Miles uh, in the secondary who he, he picked off five passes and he was um, uh, that ended up being like the sixth highest total in the country uh, that season. So. Uh, they were pretty good. I, I also think that they kind of benefited from the Nebraska's offensive uh, philosophy, the way that Nebraska really controlled the ball with the running game and, you know, controlled the time of possession. 
and 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 then that made it really you know a little bit easier because you know they that defense was playing with leads you know pretty often too so uh, it made it a little bit easier but you know when when uh, you know the chips were down they were able to get it done and they had two all-americans on defense Penn State had none um, they had more turnovers uh, than Penn State's defense the plus minus I'm pretty sure they blew Penn State out on the on the plus minus but um, Ken, were you able to watch the the championship game that year with Nebraska versus Miami? Yeah, of course I did. You know, I look at uh, you know both sides of the ball. You know, Miami had a ton of talent on that team too. Uh, it was a beast for them. Uh, Stack talent that you know what sticks out for that Miami team is they beat a really good Florida State team that year. Um, so I, I think Nebraska maybe had a little bit tougher schedule by who they played and who those guys beat um, as their opponents. Right, Kevin, you got anything you want to add on Nebraska's defense? Yeah, I mean one of the stats that jumps out to me uh, is ten out of their what thirteen opponents that season, uh, seventeen points or less. Um, and that was uh, number three ranked Miami, number two ranked Colorado, number 16 ranked Kansas State, number 13 uh, UCLA uh, is one of the only teams that was actually ranked that put up more than 17 on them. And then the other two teams, which I'm very shocked by this though, Pacific California uh, put up 21 against them and Wyoming put up 32. Um, but they, they shut out number 24 West Virginia. Um, I mean, they, they held, what, four top 25 teams to 17 points or less. Um, that's pretty impressive. Uh, I'll give them that for sure. Yeah, I mean, you can say they beat a lot of good teams. We'll get into the schedule here in a little bit, UCLA being 13. I think they finished the year like three and seven or something. So what you start at ranked isn't necessarily where you, where you end ranked. But um, – Brett, we'll, we'll let you start out with the um, – we'll go into the special teams. And uh, if anybody thinks there's a coaching advantage, because we're talking about two Hall of Fame coaches here, then you can you can bring that up too. Well, I, I, that's actually – I was going to jump into the coach thing because that's what yep. I kind of have section. a little bit – yeah, a little bit more about. I mean, what, you, what can you say? Two Hall of Fame coaches. Um, I mean, multiple national championships for both of them. Uh, both in the College Football Hall of Fame, um, you know, both something, you know, kind of rare, you know, they stay with teams uh, for a long time. Um, you know, this day and age, you see coaches get turned about in three years if they don't perform, uh, different types of things like that. But, I mean, when you look at it, you, again, you have two different types of mind. You have the, the Tom Osborne, who was uh, very uh, along the defensive mind, and Coach Paterno, which – they had some good defenses here and there, but it was the offense that really got them through that year. Right. Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I remember my uh, senior year, man, at Penn State. I just finished a final. And, uh, I was outside on the phone with my mom talking to her. I don't know how the test went. Joe Paterno comes walking up the sidewalk towards me. And it was right after Penn State had beat Florida State in Orange Bowl. And, um, you know, I got I got a few minutes to talk to Paterno uh, about that game and, and just chit chat for a little bit. I mean, hands down, that guy is the best coach ever. 
the walk from the college football grounds. Um, I mean, he's got over 400 wins. He's got the two national titles. He should have had more. Um, uh, I don't really know much about Tom, um, Tom Oswald. I mean, yeah, I know he has three titles over Joe Paterno. And, I mean, he obviously had great teams. He's won the Big 8 12 times, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Big 12 once. Um, got Bobby Dodd, Coach of the Year, ESPN Coach of the Decade. I mean, they're both two great coaches. Turner coach a lot longer, though, so obviously he's going to have more wins and stuff. But, I mean, hands down, both of them are great coaches. Can't really pick a, a better better one between the two. Brian, you got any special teams stats or anything for us? I mean, you know, you, you kind of touched on earlier about Brett Conway. Um you know, being all American, going to the NFL, uh, you know, as a kicker, and he was ranked. Um, what I have here, he was ranked uh, seventh overall in field goal percentage that season in the nation. So, yeah, Brett Conway could come through. Um, also, notable uh, special teams thing, maybe people don't know about that year. Uh, the guy who was doing some of the punting was actually Joe Jervicious for Penn State. So. Um, uh, you know, so uh, Mr. Dilger's, uh, you know, future teammate there was actually punting the ball. So, um, so we had that. I, I, as far as the coaching, real quick, I took a look and I, uh, at a couple of like uh, very reputable sources. I had ESPN. Um, they did their 150th anniversary um, uh, list for coaches, and then also I looked at Bleacher Report. They did a they did an all time list. And in both cases, they had Tom uh, Osborne ahead. Um, uh, the 150th anniversary had Osborne number four. Joe Paterno at number seven, and the Bleacher Report had Osborne at three and Joe Paterno at four. But, I mean, they're very equal, both legends for sure. Uh, we'll get into more later about the adversity that each one faced during this particular season. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a toss-up uh, when it comes to these two coaches. On, on the special teams, I'll just throw this in. Conway was 62 for 63 on extra points that year and 10 for 12 on field goals. We move over to Nebraska. Most of their kicking was done by Tom Sealer. He was 40 for 42 on the extra points, so pretty close. Four for six on the field goals. But their other field goal kicker, Erhad, if you combine that, they were only seven for 14 on field goals that year. So it's a good thing they weren't in a lot of close games. So that really could have come back to haunt them. Um, Ken, i got to ask you, you know, two Hall of Fame coaches, is there an advantage to one of them, or are they just pretty much in a dead heap? I think it's got to be a dead heat. I think both of them played in different conferences, different style of offenses. You know, Penn State always had that drop back quarterback, like you saw with um, what they had, uh, Kerry Collins. Uh, you know, Penn State kind of hung their hat on the, uh, the the option. I think they had different athletes and different style of game. But, you know, I think both styles, no matter what you agree with, uh, whether you like it or not, they both won. They both won, uh, you know, big – uh, some big games, you know, in the history of, of college football. So, you know, I was I was never a big fan of the option offense. But, uh, you know, just growing up in Big Ten country, you always watch uh, the pro styles from all across the uh, the Big Ten and the uh, quarterbacks from Harbaugh to, you know, Brady and all those great guys there. So I was always a big fan of uh, the pro style in the game there. But, uh, you know, both had great success. Absolutely. Just one last note on, on the special teams. Uh, we didn't give a – we talked more about the coaches. Uh, Penn State, they had Mike Archie. He was uh, averaging 21.8 yards on kick returns and 11.5 on punt returns. 
And then you got uh, Damian Benning over at Nebraska. He was averaging 25.7 on kick returns. And then Kareem Moss was doing the punt returns at 7.5. So that's kind of a split on that um, as far as the, the returns go. But all right, so before we move into the schedule, I just need to remind everybody to check out Arena Eats. Log on to their website, arenaeats.app, for the ultimate fan experience at your favorite sports venue. Arena Eats mobile app, pre-order, express pickup, and in-seat delivery. How do you place your order? All right, so let's move on to um, – I know we talked about it a little bit already, the, the, the competition for each team. Um, Brett, um, how about – Penn State, what what do you got on their competition? Well, I mean, you could argue uh, that by the end of the season or so um, that Penn State had a little bit more difficult schedule, even though when you look at it, um, Penn State only played four top 25 teams at the time that the schedule came out. You know, again, it all, like you said, depends on where the team ends than where you begin the season. Um, But again, when you look at their schedule – and then you look at their average margin of victory uh, and things like that. You can say no matter who they played, they handled their business and what they had to do. Again, uh, they had number, you know, USC. They had at Michigan, which was a massive game. Uh, they had Ohio State, obviously. Um, and then, you know, number 12, Oregon in the Rose Bowl. And um, they, again, what can you say? They handled the, their closest game actually was against Illinois. Um Interestingly enough, that was the only game where they didn't win by at least seven points. So, um, you know, that's looking at their schedule. Kevin, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, <clears throat> just to touch a little bit more on that, like the the overall rankings of their schedule, um, Penn State was actually ranked eighth, eighth toughest schedule that year, and Nebraska was ranked 40th. Um, and you touched on the margin of victory. Um, Penn State does have a better margin of victory against their opponents that year. And also the conference strength, too. Uh, the Big Ten that year was actually the first-ranked uh, conference, and the Big Eight was actually ranked fourth for conference strength. Um, so, I mean, Penn State, yeah, they might not have played as many you know, ranked teams, but it doesn't mean that the, the other teams that they faced, like, weren't decent or weren't good. They, they still played – you know, overall, a lot more better teams at a tougher schedule that year than Nebraska did, and by a good margin, 8th to 40th. Ken, you lived the Big Ten that year. Uh, what, what was that like? What what teams were you guys, you know, looking like this is going to be really hard to play against? You know, looking at the uh, the schedules for, for Penn State, you know, that year I thought the whole Big Ten conference as a whole was down – you know, Penn State beat Ohio State team that went nine and uh, nine and four, I think, and uh, we beat Ohio State again and um, had a close game versus Michigan. So, you know, from top to bottom, Big Ten only had what three ranked teams and kind of blew everybody out. Michigan State wasn't very good that year either. So, it's kind of shocked shocked me when I heard you guys' stats about the Big Ten uh, number one conference uh, strength of conference compared to uh, the Big Eight, but. Uh, yeah, you know, you still got to win close games, and, and Penn State did that very well. They blew a lot of good teams out, but I wouldn't call a lot of the Big Ten games that year great teams that year. The uh, the win percentage for the teams that Penn State played that year was 518. So that's um, not too bad. Nebraska's was only 510. So Penn State did have a little bit harder of a schedule. 
Brian, uh, why don't you dig into Nebraska's schedule there for us? Okay, well, um, you know, Nebraska, you know, they, they started off with the – they had the, the, uh, the kickoff um, classic uh, against West Virginia. Um, you know, West Virginia team eventually uh, played in a bowl game, and they, they shut them out 31 nothing. So they, yeah, that, was, that was a really good one there. Uh, they ended up playing um, really seven teams, if you count Miami, seven teams that played in bowl games that year. Uh, so you had, you had West Virginia, you had Texas Tech, uh, you had Kansas State, Colorado, um, you had uh, Oklahoma, and then of course you had Miami. So you know they their competition was pretty was pretty tough. Um, I especially want to circle the you know and highlight the the Colorado game because the Colorado game they go against um, Rashad, uh, uh, Rashawn Salam, who ended up being the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, they were able to handle him. They only they only allowed seven points in the game. Um, you know, this is a team that ended up being number uh, number three overall. You know, they won the Fiesta Bowl. And, uh, you know, and they also had, you know, an All-American uh, with Westbrook on that team, too. So, you know, they were and, – and, and Cordell Stewart was, was a very good quarterback. So they were able to, you know, to rise above some, some pretty significant competition. A lot of Pittsburgh fans might disagree with you on that Cordell Stewart comment, but uh, <laughs> three of us are from Pittsburgh originally. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it's amazing you brought up Rashawn Salam. That is three run, the three top running backs pretty much that year. You got Salam, uh, Carter, Kajana Carter, and and uh, Lawrence Phillips. Like none of them really did a lot in the NFL. That, that that's very surprising uh, to see that. Uh, I I forgot all about Salam. That's, I'm getting old. Yes, he actually just passed away here about maybe a year and a half or two years ago. But, uh, I yeah, I heard that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Ken, anything you want to say about Nebraska? Um, you know, I thought their schedule was, was solid. It wasn't great. Uh, you know, like I said, the big big eight that year wasn't great. But you know what they what they did versus a a very good Colorado team. I watched that team uh, all season long just because they were always on the later games after uh, our games. Seems like Illinois games were always on at uh, noon Eastern time, eleven o'clock Central. So. Uh, you had a lot of time to sit back and, and watch some of those games. And some of my guys at the, the Colts were were from uh, Colorado and Penn State and even Nebraska, too. So get to kind of see what their background was. But, uh, you know, what Nebraska did versus Colorado and uh, Miami were probably the two things that kind of stuck out with me. Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about um, the, the, the 95 draft. Um, Ken, you, you were drafted in 95, correct? Correct. Right, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. Um, Kevin, Penn State, 95 draft. What do you got on that? Um, well, I know they uh, had five players drafted that year. Oh, most notably, you know, Kerry Collins. You know, he... I don't think he really, I mean, he performed in the NFL. I wouldn't say that he had a great career. Well, went to the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, but did he win it? Took Carolina, an expansion team, <laughs> to a championship game. Uh, I, I'd say it was a good career, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, they had they had the five that, that got drafted, like you had mentioned, um, that were, I believe they were, all five were um, All-Americans. Uh, Carter got drafted, Kyle Brady, Bill uh, Cody, and Bill 
Geishauser. I don't know how you pronounce that, but he was drafted to the Colts. Was he drafted with, with you, Ken, Brian? He's a linebacker? Uh, yeah, Gilhauser. Yeah. In like a fifth or sixth round. I think he maybe lasted a year or two on special teams, but didn't do much afterwards. Right. So, I mean, really, I mean, Terry Collins was the most successful out of the uh, five that got drafted. And, um, yeah, like you said, he did go to the Super Bowl, but none of them were really successful and, like, really did anything in the NFL. Well, I totally disagree with that, but I'm going to let some other people make their points first. Go ahead, Brett. Well, I mean, just to touch on Kevin's point, uh, the thing that was surprising with it, too, when you look at Penn State and where they finished uh, with those five that were drafted, you ha- again, I mentioned it kind of earlier, that you had three of them that were chosen within the top ten picks of the draft yeah. uh, that year, which norma- that's just almost unheard of from a single team. Um, so that's another thing that kind of you can debate with what we're uh, debating tonight about the legacy of the 94 and who should be the champion. Um, and again, two of those top tens, they were both Heisman Trophy finalists. Again, another unusual thing that you don't really see nowadays, two players from the same team um, being up there and being finalists. Not only that, they had three in the top 15. And uh, Kevin, Bobby Ingram had a very good career. He Played wasn't drafted in 95. Uh, that's true. Good point. Good point. All right. Yeah, you got me <laughs> on that. All right. Well, he was on the team, though. So there you go. But, okay. Um, Brian, tell us about Nebraska side. I mean, you know, the story starts with, uh, you know, with Lawrence Phillips. And, you know, and that was really, you know, a tragic story because, you know, he really had a lot of off-the-field problems. Um, but, you know, when he first came out, you know, he was thought very highly of. He was thought so highly of of, of the Rams that they dealt, you know, Jerome Bettis to the Steelers uh, on draft day. Um, you know, in order to, to make room for Phillips. So, you know, they really thought that, that he was going to be, you know, a guy to, you know, to, to build their entire franchise around. That changed and history. Wow. It really did, yeah. yeah. And, and if there's any L.A. Rams out there, you know, hey, thanks. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, but still, yeah, like I said, you know, he was thought that, you know, he was, you know, they really thought he could be a, a building block for that team. And, and uh, you know, and that just goes to show, you know, um, you know, the, the level of, uh, of admiration he had at that point. And I, I think to, to truly judge a, a championship caliber team, you gotta, you gotta look more when it comes to college teams, you gotta look more than just the 95 draft because you're talking about guys that were drafted a few years beyond. So with, with Penn state, you got five players drafted in 95, 10 players in 96, and three players in 97, and seven of those total were first or second rounders. And those were all people that were playing on the, on the championship team. And then you move over to the Nebraska side. Um, in 95, they had seven players drafted, no first rounders. They had six players drafted in 96, and eight players drafted in 97. So they basically had 21 players total to Penn State's 18. Um, however, they only had five first or second rounders drafted. So Penn State had the, the higher drafted players out of that. Um, Can I add ten, another quick point? Sorry, yeah, just to ahead. build yeah. off yours there. Uh, I was just going to say there were actually a total of 29 players that played on that 1994 Nebraska team that ended up playing um, in the NFL at some point. So just another 
good stuff there. Ken, you went uh, – you were 95 draft. Was it the – Correct. Fifth Second round. round. Second round. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought Kevin said fifth earlier. All right. No. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and you went directly to the Colts, um, which, yeah, very good team there. Um, so, But can you give, like, a little bit of your experience there uh, at, at that draft, um, you know, watching players go off the board? Was there any surprises to you? Um, yeah, I'm, I was surprised that uh, Kyle Brady went as high as he did to the Jets, uh, 10th overall. Um, you know, there was myself, Kyle Brady from uh, Penn State, Christian Fourier from uh, Colorado, uh, Mark Bruner from uh, Washington, all kind of in that same spot, mid first to early second, whatever. And um, uh, Kyle went first, and I think Bruner went late first to Pittsburgh, then, uh, oh gosh, Fourier went uh, early second to Seattle, then I went uh, mid-second to um, to Indianapolis, but, you know, we were all ranked about the same, just, you know, Kyle was a big guy, he was 6'6", 265, you know, going into uh, the, the New York City and playing there, that, those fans were brutal. The teams weren't very good, and they kind of roasted him for dropping a lot of balls. But I think he finally did something down in Jacksonville a little bit better than what he did in the, in the Jets. But, you know, I think that year as a tight end, I think Mark Bruner was the, kind of the best blocking tight end. I was kind of a hybrid, same with Christian Fourier. But, you know, that class all had, you know, four or five really good tight ends. But, um, you know, I was looking at uh, Kerry Collins. He played 17 years in the league, you know, as a quarterback. Yeah, you bounce around just because you're trying to fit the uh, offensive scheme. But, you know, he ended his last year in 2011 with the Colts and started three games when Peyton went down. So, you know, a lot of teams out there thought highly of him. He had a weird throwing motion, kind of a, uh, a slow throwing motion, but still he was very effective. And, you know, to the last 17 years, hats off to him. Took three different teams to the NFL playoffs. That says a lot to me. Um, Carolina, the Giants, and uh, Tennessee. Uh, I believe they were still Tennessee at that point. So, yeah. Um, good. Okay. So, before we all give our pick of uh, who we feel should have won, we're going to throw out our trivia question. Um, so, prior winners, you guys are still ineligible. Sorry about that. you got to be a member, seat, a member of the Legacy Battle Facebook group to win, so please join the Facebook group. Tonight's prize is a Brian Leach rookie card. Um, you don't know who that is, New York Rangers. Won the Stanley Cup MVP. Everybody thinks it was Mark Messier. No, it was Brian Leach. Um, so here's your question. You got to, as always, answer all parts of the question. Put it in the comments section. In the movie Space Jam, what score did Michael Jordan get on the golf hole? He was sucked down by Bugs Bunny. And what score did Bill Murray and Larry Bird give themselves? And what was the reason they gave it to themselves? So just throw your answers in that comment section and we'll, we'll get the prize mailed out to you whoever uh whoever gets all three of those yeah <laughs> that can i know that sounds like a weird question but we always make them entertainment sports based <laughs> <laughs> i saw the movie but i can't remember any of those <laughs> yeah so, well, there, there, there's a remake coming out with lebron so oh fun all right uh brett you're in the top corner so uh who are you going with and why? Penn State or Nebraska? Okay. Um, 
Well, you know, to dig into a little of the controversy real quick that year, you know, I think it was all about the bowl coalition. Uh, The reason that Penn State didn't even have the opportunity to really be considered a champion is because the Rose Bowl always placed the, you know, the Big Ten winner against the Pac-12 conference winner. And they didn't even get considered the Rose Bowl as part of the, you know, the bowls that the champion could play in. Um, Another part that's interesting about this year is, you know, with Penn State, they, um, if they would have been a little bit more flashy, because Joe Paterno being the quality coach he was, didn't try to always run up the score. Uh, There were many games where he actually sat his starters in the fourth quarter uh, because they already had a big lead in a specific game that stands out. And why this is interesting is the game against Indiana. Um, He called off, you know, the dogs against Indiana and the score ended up being way closer than it should have been at the end because the starters weren't in and the polls that week specifically because a lot of the pollsters who vote don't watch all the games necessarily transferred six first place votes to Nebraska simply because of how close the score was Um, and it was confirmed that a couple of those people who voted didn't even watch the game they just looked at the final score Um, so I just had to add that in because those points were kind of interesting to me but once everything's all said and done when you look at the legacy, when you look at the stats, um, when you look at the, the the players that were drafted, the Heisman finalists, anything you want to look at, I am having uh, I have to go with uh, Penn State tonight. Okay. I think they should have been national champion. Kevin, I'd come to you next, but I probably know where you're going. So let's go to Brian next. <laughs> you know, when when you look at the stories of each of these seasons. Um, you know, Penn State pretty much rolled, uh, you know, through their, uh, you know, through their season without too much uh, adversity, really. I mean, there was a few things here and there, but for the most part, they pretty much rolled through. Um, when I look at Nebraska, I think of, okay, they were rolling too, and then Tommy Frazier goes down, you know, the most important part of their offense. You know, he goes down in, uh, after the third game, and then now, you know, you would think, Oh, maybe this season's ruined. We gotta go to the you know the backup quarterback. What's gonna happen? You know, and and they even had to change the nuances of their offense a bit. You know, uh, you know for the for the next guy. And so they didn't really miss a beat. I mean, they had a bit of a hiccup against Wyoming. That game was a little closer than it should have been. And then after that, they end up with with six games that they only that they give up you know single digits. Um, and then of course you know when they get, when they get Miami, you know the big story was about you know Nebraska not really being able to close the deal. They had, they had lost to Miami the season before, and, you know, they get Miami. You know, you, I know the whole whole coalition thing, but you can't control who you're playing, you know, and, and they beat who, you know, who was necessary um, for them to beat. You know, whoever was get on their schedule, they beat them. They did what they had to do, and, and I, don't, I don't see any reason why that they shouldn't be the national champions. Okay. Kevin. So, um, you know, Penn State – they, they had seven total undefeated seasons up to that point um, and have basically gotten snubbed all but two, two of those seasons. And one was in 1912 before any of the people that were voting then. And the other one was in 1986. Um, you know, they were new to the Big Ten. Nobody liked them in the Big Ten. Nobody wanted them in the Big Ten. Um, if you look at the, the map of the voting, um, majority of the Big Ten conference, they didn't even vote for Penn State. You know, you would think that the Big Ten area would vote for a team that's in their conference to show, like, hey, this is our conference. This is how good we are. 
But no, they didn't. All four votes from Ohio voted against Penn State and voted for Nebraska. Um, Nebraska ended up winning the voting like 51 and a half first place votes to Penn State's 10 and a half first place votes. Um, you know, it just wasn't in the cards that year for Penn State. Um, you know, many speculated that uh, this could have played a role in snubbing Joe Paterno of his final undefeated squad at the, the championship at that point. Uh, a lot of people said, you know, Joe Paterno already had two, Tom didn't have any yet, so they kind of did a pity vote for him. Um, you know, yeah, Penn State's defense was weak, but their offense was too much to handle. And if going into the finals and that at the end of the season, Nebraska didn't have their star quarterback or anything, I don't think their offense would have made uh, that big of a difference to overcome Penn State's offense to beat Penn State. So I am going with my alma mater. <laughs> oh, there's the biggest shock in, in seven episodes. Are you picking Penn State? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm going to go next, and, and Ken, the pressure is going to be on you because I'm going Nebraska, and, and here's why. <laughs> um, okay, Penn State had a miraculous year, maybe the best year they've ever had in college football history. But to judge a team, I, I look at it, what did they do the year prior and the year after? Well, that tells me how good every player was. So the previous year, Penn State was 10-2. and two. And the, the year before, uh, they went 12-0. and 0. They were 10-2. and 2. And then the year after, they were 9-3. and 3. And if I go over to Nebraska, the year before, they're 11-1. And, and then the year after, they're undefeated again at 12-0. and 0. So I feel like their depth just was much, much greater. And, and their offensive rank the season before was 7th, and their defense 3rd where Penn State was 17th and 22nd the year before. And then the year after, Nebraska's offense is ranked first and defense fourth. And Penn State drops to 13 and 41. So it was really just kind of a, I don't want to say blip, but blip in the radar for Penn State for one year where everything kind of came together perfectly. It was a perfect season. But I'm just not sure that they had all the depth that – that Nebraska had. So I'm going with Nebraska because of that. So Kenneth, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about pressure. Um, you know, Taking a look at both teams, <laughs> you know, playing the big 10 that year, you know, played a lot of the same teams that uh, Penn state played, you know, in my mind, uh, the Big Ten wasn't a dominant conference that year. Michigan was, what, 9-4, and four, Ohio State was 9-4. and four. We beat Ohio State that year, and we came very close to beating Michigan, lost to them 19-14. to 14. Take a look at what Nebraska did. I think two, two games kind of stand out uh, along the way in their, in their undefeated season was the Colorado win. They had tons of talent, and the uh, Miami win. Uh, in, in the bowl game, you know, Miami uh, beat a very good Florida State team that year as well. You know, a lot of my teammates from Tampa uh, were from Florida and uh, Miami. And, you know, I think out, out of those teams, you probably had three or four Hall of Famers uh, from Tampa. So I, you know, love the Big Ten, but I, I think defense wins championships. And I think uh, I give the, the, the edge to Nebraska that year. There you have it. Nothing changes. It's still Nebraska. All right. Very good. Well, well, we have a little time left. We're going to uh, 
do a Q&A with, with Ken. He's going to be kind enough to to answer the, the hard career questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're very laid back. So, um, Brett, you can uh, give your question. Go ahead. All right. I'm uh, going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit here, but I, I wanted to ask you, who was one of your favorite teammates in the NFL that you ever played with? Um, boy, that's tough. Uh, you know, in Indianapolis, you kind of went through kind of a transition. You know, first uh, two or three years there, it's kind of an older group with, with Harbaugh, Marshall Falk, um, a lot of older guys. Will Wolford was on that team as well. Kirk Milk from, uh, went to, I think he went to Ohio State. And, you know, then then Peyton comes in in 97, kind of, you know, at three years into the league or four years in with him, I was kind of one of the older guys on that Colts team. So, you know, from that Colts team, I still have a lot of friends, uh, Adam Meadows, still talk to Peyton um, and so forth. And going down to Tampa, you know, it was – I was kind of coming in as a an older guy to helping out the offense. But there's so many great guys down there. You know, like you said, Joe Jervicious. He was my roommate um, on the road that year. We won the Super Bowl, and I don't know if you guys remember this. He was dealing with uh, a child that was born with some very rare disease. Uh, I think it ended up passing away about two months later in uh, mid, mid-January, December after the Super Bowl. And I remember that he was kind of worn out from traveling and, and dealing with that situation. But, you know, Joe stands out. Brad Johnson stands out. Uh, we do some Zoom calls every now and then. Those guys get on. Uh, Mike Allstott uh, was, was a good friend of mine down there as well. And So those are the kind of guys that kind of stand out uh, in, in both teams. All right. Thank you. And I had uh, posted on our group page the YouTube video of your touchdown pass to uh, Marvin Harrison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so I got to ask you, I, I know you played quarterback in high school. Who told you, uh, like, how did that come about that all of a sudden you're in college and you're a tight end? How, how did that come about? And how was the adjustment? So I grew up in southern Indiana in a very small town of about 300 people. And so my high school was consolidated. So there's probably 12 or 13 small towns uh, in, in a consolidated high school. And, and we were very competitive in all sports. Uh, and Jay Cutler went to my high school as well uh years ago and so i was i grew into be 6'5 215 and back then we didn't have a weight program we had very little weights and running in the summertime maybe a couple days a week nothing like they have now you know i played three sports football basketball and baseball and so i kind of grew into the position played you know running back and quarterback ever since the sixth grade and and just kind of you know fell in love with it and so when i was being recruited uh, it was mostly the Mac schools. Uh, not many people went down to the southwest corner of the state. And so when John McAbick went to Illinois, uh, University of Evansville had just disbanded their football team, and their head coach went to Illinois as recruiting coordinator, and his name was Randy Rogers. And so he wanted to get some kids from the southwest portion of the state because it's only a three or three and a half hour drive to Champaign. So I went there because that was the only big, big 10 offer I had. Kevin Hardy went there, had a great career, and some other kids who kind of bounced around uh, Illinois as well. So, um, And so in, in college, I just kind of started growing, uh, started filling out, started gaining 10, 15 pounds that first semester. And 
when I went there, Jeff George had just left. So there was two senior quarterbacks coming in, or junior quarterbacks, Johnny or uh, Jason Verdusco and Jeff Kenny. And that senior year, when I was there as a freshman, they had two senior tight ends, Jeff Finke and Frank Hartley. And after they had gone, there was only two freshman tight ends. So I felt I just wanted to play no matter what position. And I just felt that it was easier for me to switch to tight end and play earlier than sit behind two other quarterbacks who were going to be uh, going to be juniors at the time and uh, play a lot earlier than what I imagined. It worked out well. <laughs> it did. It really did. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, actually, you kind of touched base on what I was going to ask you a little bit. I was going to ask you kind of how, how did you end up going to uh, Illinois and what were some of the other schools that gave you offers? Yeah, like I said, a lot of the Mac schools, uh, Ball State. I think I came down between Illinois, Ball State, Indiana State. I did take a visit to uh, Moorhead State in the summertime. Uh, you know, Toledo, uh, Miami of Ohio wanted me to come visit. But at that point, I just – I knew I just wanted to stay close to home. And uh, I came down between in, uh, Ball State and Illinois. And I just felt that if I was going to make a chance or take a chance to play in, in college, you know, why not go to the Big Ten, get a scholarship, and – at least get a, a really good education. Brian. Yeah, first off, Ken, I just want to say, hey, thanks for coming on to the show. This is really uh, awesome to be able to talk to you. Um, my question for you is, you were NFL tight end uh, for, you know, for 10 years. Um, you know, with that position, you know, as a, you know, when you're, when you're receiving, you know, you have your linebackers covering you, you have safeties, you have you know, a variety of defensive players can, can scheme against you. Um, which players uh, that, that you lined up against really stand out as like the toughest competition that you ever had? Well, I got to go back to the the old school AFC East when we were playing uh, Buffalo and the Jets and Miami, New England. Uh, you know, going into all those stadiums was just was just hard, and, and um, you know, Buffalo had always had a great. They all had great defenses. I mean, going against uh, you know one of the guys that uh, I always kind of measure myself against as a, as a blocker was Bryce Pop from Buffalo. Kind of a, uh, you know, nobody really, nobody really knew about him. I think he came out of um, South Dakota or North Dakota and, and had a great career at Buffalo. But, you know, all those outside linebackers in the uh, AFC East, you know, Roman Pfeiffer, um, you know, uh, Jason Taylor in Miami, um, Bruce, you know, uh, God, you know, then all the names are, are still there. So the all the AFC East guys were, were were tough, and you know, I was always a blocking tight end and a receiving tight end. But so I, I loved to block, and um, you know, the, the safeties in the uh, the AFC East were, were tough as well. But you know, Ty Law from New England kind of stands out as well. So you know, the whole AFC East was such just an old great conference. Uh, we've battled many, many. You know, I think we took. Uh, New England or nobody took Buffalo. We beat them on a Monday Night Football ten to six. So that was just kind of the the black and blue division uh, from the old school that we did uh, years ago. But Buffalo, Bryce Pop, you know Phil Hansen was another defensive end uh, that always gave me me fits, and it was it was always a, a great time to block those guys. Do you have time for a few more? Or do you got to go? Go ahead. Oh, great. Um, what, what, give me give me your high low from from your NFL. Time. Oh God, the high was probably uh, win the Super Bowl. Um, you know that year was it was so much fun. You know, 
wins in Philadelphia, taking taking that stadium down. And they were throwing batteries and everything else at you. Um, you know, going into San Diego and, and beating the Raiders on one of those you know, epic games that the defense scored, what, three or four touchdowns. Um, you know, the low, I'm sure you Pittsburgh fans remember this, was the uh, 95 playoff game when we had chances yep. to win and Cordell Stewart cat, catches that touchdown when he stepped out of bounds. And uh, we had a couple chances when uh, Quentin Correa dropped that pass and uh, Cornell Lake comes off the backside and, and trips um, – uh, our running back. So that was probably the low, uh, one of the lows, uh, you know, three and 13, a couple of times. Uh, that, that would have been probably 97, the last year of Harbaugh. And then 98, Peyton's year was also three and 13. So, but, you know, there's a lot of great memories, a lot of great guys, you know, playing in the league for 10 years, you know, 160 games, you always have a lot of uh, ups and downs. <clears throat> You guys want to throw one more each? Go ahead. Oh, right. Uh, go ahead, Brett. Okay. Yeah, I'll just uh, um, be, uh, you know, being a Tampa boy, I gotta at least ask something about the team. What was it like uh, being a player under uh, John Gruden? You know, it, it was fun. Didn't know much about John uh, in the uh, off season of two thousand two. I had gotten released by Indy. Dungey got fired by Tampa, and we just kind of switched uh, jobs. Uh, Gruden met him at the uh, downtown Hooters uh, in Indianapolis at the uh, Combine, and I think it was in the paper the next day that uh, we met at Hooters, and I was looking to sign with Tampa Bay. But, uh, you know, John was fun, uh, great passion for the game. Back then, he was only like 38 or 39 years old, and uh you know, everybody asks me about, you know, what was he like off the field? And I'm like, he's exactly what he is off the field as he is on the field. In the meeting rooms, he's got great uh, history of the game. He he loves the history of the game, whether it's a coach or whether it's a wide receiver he coached in Green Bay or San Francisco uh, and so forth. And um, he's a, exactly the same. He's got great passion uh, and just loves the game. And I think you saw that on what he did on Monday Night Football for all those years. Brian, good. Okay, well, you you were in the huddle with uh, with Peyton Manning in his early years in the NFL. Um, can you tell us what it was like to, to be working with him uh, as a young guy? We, we kind of all know how he you know how mm -hmm. he turned out, but can you kind of tell us how he was in his early years? You know, I think it was uh, exactly the same way he was as his older years. You know, we'd come off a three and thirteen season, uh, and we get the first first pick overall. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of expected uh, Peyton to come in and, and we drafted him. And, you know, if, even if they're early on, you have the uh, on-the-field activity days, the OTA days in the, in the spring after the draft. And you can tell early on that he demanded a presence in the uh, in the huddle. And um, you can tell at an early age that he, he wanted everybody to do what he wanted and uh, to be as good as him. And, you know, it took us a year to kind of get through some, some things with him and the new offense with Tom Moore. But... You know, we went from three and thirteen to thirteen and three in just uh, in just a year, and you know, Peyton was a big part of that. And he he worked hard, and he made us work hard, made us got better. And I think you saw that with what he and Marvin Harrison did uh, throughout the what five or six years together. Kevin, you have one more. Yeah, um, if there was uh, one player that you could have played with that you didn't get to, who would who would that player be outside of the teams you played on? Oh, wow. Um, that's a great question. Um, 
Ooh, uh, you know what? Nobody's ever asked me that before. <laughs> Don't say Brady. We'll all be really mad. <laughs> <laughs> but I did take a visit to uh, New England after they won that 2001 Super Bowl. And uh, they had just won. And he was he was in the weight, weight room working out. And, you know, he wasn't uh, the guy he was now as, you know, sophisticated. He was a scrawny little kid. I think it was probably maybe 24 years old back then. But uh, so I did meet Tom. But, you know, um, probably some of the quarterbacks, you know, I think it would have been great to play with uh, like a Troy Aikman, um, somebody like that, that uh, kind of does it the right way. You know, I love watching him on, on Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football over Fox has now. And, you know, I, I, I got to talk to him a couple of times when they did the Fox games down in Tampa. And he seems like a great guy. But, uh, yeah, there's so many great players out there that you never get a chance to play, but you play against. You know, watching Barry Sanders run probably would have been a, a great thrill to block for him. Uh, you know, guys like that, they just kind of stand out that are great players, but also great guys. Ken, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, I know you guys were down in Florida, but uh, I do the Colts pregame show on Wish TV here in Indianapolis. Been doing that for 13 years. We're live uh, Sunday afternoon, Sunday mornings from 11 to 12. Uh, we do a great job, and uh, the host, Anthony Calhoun, has won a couple of Emmys of what we've done. Uh, big awards for them, so it's a great show. And you know the, the Colts are in a different league than the uh, Buccaneers, but maybe someday they'll be in the Super Bowl together, and wouldn't that be fun? That would be. Well, I want to give you a, a personal thank you because you, you don't even know this, but in 1997, you were part of my fantasy football winning team. Now it could have <laughs> been it could have been because Barry Sanders went for 2,000 yards that year, and he was on my team. Oh, but you, you were a part of it, so. Well, I, hey. No story about that, that uh, in 2001, I go to Tampa and, uh, you know, I'm walking from the lobby and uh, somebody yells out to me, hey, Dilger, that touchdown you threw uh, in the Jets game won my fantasy league for me. So, <laughs> you know, you, uh, those things that kind of just make you kind of, oh, okay, great. So, yeah, that was, that was fun. Do you, Thank play? You. Do you play fantasy? You know, I've picked it up the last couple of years. My son is 18, and the last couple of years we've gotten into a couple of leagues. Uh, last year we got to an NFL alumni league, and we won that and went to the Super Bowl of all of the 20 guys who won. We didn't win that one, but we won that. Then uh, at work we have a, a bunch of guys who get together and some girls into a, a fantasy football league. So I've been doing that for about uh, probably three years now, but before that I never got into it. Anybody else have anything? I got one more question. Um, as you look around the league now, is there any players out there that you say that that really reminds you of, of you? Like, is there is there like another sort of Ken Dilger out there? Um, man, uh, the game has changed so much. It's it's more of a passing game to the tight ends, and those guys are so athletic now. Like uh, you know, Kittle from San Francisco, he's just a beast. You know, uh, Andrews from Baltimore does a good job. You know, Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, I think in, in my mind in the last probably 20 years, he and uh, Tony Gonzalez were probably the top two tight ends I've seen come along. But, you know, it doesn't say that there hasn't been um, other guys. You know, uh, Witten from Dallas has done a great job for, for a long, long time, and his longevity has done a great job, you know. Um, but to say there is there one that uh, kind of reminds me of, of me, 
Um, you know, it, it's hard to say because I was such a, a fan of blocking. I, I enjoyed blocking. Um, you know, I know there's some tight ends out there that just that just block, but I think it's such a specialized league now in the tight end position. Not to say that Kelsey or or uh, a Greg Olson or you know Kittle doesn't block. It's just more of you know they they're out there to catch balls and they do a great job at it. Kevin, you had one last one. Well, what's it's not for football related or anything like that. But one of my buddies uh, has family up in Indiana. And uh, he was like, you got to ask him about the banana bread. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm telling you, they have amazing banana bread up there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, my, my wife actually makes it. She started this little side uh, banana breaking, baking business about oh, probably four or five years ago. And for 20 years before that, she would make a loaf for, you know, the holidays or whatever to have around. And some friends of ours said that, uh, hey, you got to start selling this. And she kind of um, kind of put it off for a couple of years. So, yeah, we've been selling it at retail for about uh, three or four years now. And, you know, she's down there, you know, right now baking some stuff for some motors tomorrow. So it's fun. Um, you know, she's been all over the place with locally with um, the media and stuff. And, you know, now it's more become, hey, that's that's Heidi's husband instead of, the vice versa. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. Well, we'll get That's you awesome. out of here on this last question. Um, you know, you mentioned the NFL and the tight ends, you know, much more pass happy league this year. Uh, running actually is, is up a little bit. Um, do, you, do you see it ever going back to the way it was and, and those blocking tight ends really being needed? Well, I, I think the, the running plays that they, they've done, they've kind of gotten away from the fullback. Um, you know, I think I think this year the passing may be down just a little bit just because of what hasn't happened with the preseason, without the COVID, all the timing routes with the tight ends and the quarterbacks. You know, I can't think of how many quarterbacks have switched teams. you got Tom Brady. You've got um, the New England quarterback, Newton. You've got uh, Bridgewater in uh, Carolina. You've got, you know, new ones all across the, uh, the league now. So maybe that has kind of played a part into the running game. And, you know, a lot of injuries have come uh, with guys running around the corner. So, you know, it's one of those leagues or league years that may change, but eventually it'll get back to the, the pass happy game again. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. We really appreciate that. Um, it was an honor to have you here. You are our first Absolutely. sports guest that we've had. <laughs> I mean, I have, I, I had my science teacher on once from high school, but uh, you're, the, you're the only other guest. So oh, we, really, we really thank you for coming out. We want to thank everyone for watching. Uh, reminder to check out ngscsports.com and Arena Eats. Log on to the website, arenaeats.app, for the ultimate fan experience at your favorite sports venue. Uh, Arena Eats mobile app pre-order express pickup and in-seat delivery. How do you place your order? So we will see everyone on October 16th, special start time, 930. Hopefully Facebook Live will be working that night. Uh, we'll see. Um, uh, and as for uh, with Wimbledon and French Open winner, Jonathan Stark for the greatest tennis rivalries. So thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful night. Thank Ken, you. Thank you. thank you, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Yeah. God bless.